It's Muppeturgy with a super glam episode about the Elton John episode of The Muppet Show with our own very special guest stars, Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We're so glad you're here with us. I'm David Levy. Here today with me are... Michal Richardson. Christy Bauer. Adam Grossworth. And also with us today are our very special guest stars, the aforementioned Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting. Hello. A co-host of the podcast, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, Mark Blankenship has also contributed to NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, The New York Times, Variety, and Vulture. He was once a contestant on Jeopardy, and if you keep your eyes peeled, you might see him competing on a different game show in a few weeks. He remains scarred by that one Denny's commercial where Miss Piggy enthusiastically ordered sausage. Enemy of the Raisin, Sarah D. Bunting, is the other co-host of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, and she's also a co-host on the podcast Extra Hot Great, again with this and Quaid in full, the latter two of which recently obliged her to assess how well Heather Locklear and Dennis Quaid acquitted themselves in the puppetverse. Waldorf and Statler are hashtag squad goals. Mark and Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. It is a delight, truly. Usually before we dive in, we like to hear a little bit about our guest's history with the Muppets. Who wants to go first? I'm happy to do it because it's actually fairly short. This was, uh, people who have sort of followed my work elsewhere uh, probably already know this, so you can check out and play a game on your phone while I'm talking, but... uh, I co-founded Television Without Pity, which was sort of ironic because my parents were super strict about TV. I was allowed to watch like three things. Two of them were PBS. Everything else had to go through committee. I'm still kind of mad that the Dukes of Hazzard didn't make it, but as it turns out, they did me a huge favor. But The Muppet Show was one of the things that I was allowed to watch. But very, very fond memories of The Muppet Show, completely irrespective of quality of episode and also... When the episode we're talking about aired, I was four, I think. So not not the keenest judge. Mark? When I was little, I was born in 78. So by the time that I was watching The Muppet Show, it was in repeats. But I was obsessed with it the way that three-year-olds can be obsessed with things. And we had a VHS tape that was labeled Mummets because I couldn't say Muppets, but I could say Mummets. And one time the tape broke and I had a nuclear level meltdown. And my dad was able to get out some sort of toolkit and get the tape back again. And there is still family lore about my look of enormous relief when I saw that the tape had been fixed. And I then watched it again and again. And apparently I would walk around saying random lines, but not lines that you would think would be punchlines, but more just like, and now Linda Ronstadt. And then I would just go about my day. A lot of my Muppet show memories are actually memories that I've heard spoken by my parents. I don't really remember this myself as much. I vaguely remember loving that tape, but I know that the Muppet show plays a large part in my early childhood and in that period of my family's lore. I love that. I love both those stories. And you guys have not been watching until we asked you to. Like You you have not been like, oh, Disney Plus, let's watch the Muppet show, right? Correct. Correct. Excellent. Little sorry I came in at this point, but we'll get to it. I have a feeling that we have perhaps misunderstood the question. Uh, We have not recorded in a while, though you don't really know that. Um, So we have several corrections and additions. In your timeline, Christmas was a while ago, but in ours, the last episode we recorded was the Emmett Otter bonus episode. 
And we were not the only Muppet podcast to have that idea. And there were some other really good takes, uh, especially about Frogtown Hollow's economic situation, which we speculated about a bit. So we just want to encourage you to check those out. And you can find some of that in our Twitter feed at Muppeturgy. In the Rudolph Nureyev episode, we talked about the dark secret of Harvest Home, not to be confused with the dark secret of Frogtown Hollow, uh, which I said I couldn't find anywhere. Um, and I was only looking in official places, and I always forget to check YouTube and Daily Motion for those things, which is stupid of me because it's on YouTube and it's everything I wanted it to be. And you can find it in the Rudolph Nureyev show notes. I highly recommend it. And an actual correction correction, in the Bernadette Peters episode, we said that Rudolph Valentino was famous for doing the tango. Turns out it was actually an Apache, bringing us all the way back to the Rita Moreno episode. So he was famous for dancing the tango. It's just that the dance that he was dancing wasn't actually a tango, but everyone thought he was doing the tango. Well, right, much like... Like the association is with the is Rudolph Valentino in the tango. Right, just like we thought the Rita Moreno was doing it anyway. It's really, it's a whole first circle. Right, I just yeah. want to make it clear that it's not, it's not that we made a mistake. It's that a uh, hundred years of pop culture has made a mistake. I see. So we can give a correction without owning up to a mistake. Exactly. Kermit's allowed me to do an introduction to our guest star tonight, but I promise not to get carried away. So I'll be very understated. Here he is, the greatest talent in the history of the universe, Elton John! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're actually here to talk about Season 2, Episode 14 of The Muppet Show. It was produced the week of October 25th, 1977, and it aired in New York February 6th, 1978. It was the 16th episode to air, right after Judy Collins, which means if you were watching in that order, you got The Clowns immediately followed by all of this on TV that night. CBS has a, a, a new lineup since the last time we looked at it, though we've talked about most of these things before. Good Times, Baby I'm Back, MASH, which I actually don't think has been on Monday nights before, One Day at a Time, and Lou Grant. That's a pretty good night of television. Uh, Little House on the Prairie is on NBC because football is over and uh, football is over. But um, we do have two movies uh, after Little House on NBC is Midway Part 2. It's not a TV movie, but they, it was important enough that they split it into two parts for its TV airing. Remember when that was a thing? It's a big World War II movie with Charlton Heston, Henry Fonda, and Robert Mitchum. Relevant to my campy interests uh, over on ABC, our TV movie is The Initiation of Sarah, which starred Morgan Fairchild, Airplane's Robert Hayes. Airplane's Robert Hayes. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And stop calling me Shirley. And special guest star Shelley Winters. I don't know how you can be a special guest star in a movie, but the 70s. Uh, it's about a college student humiliated by sorority girls who unleashes her psychic powers. Obviously, it's a Carrie ripoff. It was remade in 2006 for ABC Family, starring Jennifer Tilly in the Shelley Winters role, and Morgan Fairchild, uh, again, as the mom, and also Tessa Thompson and a bunch of other people. It is on YouTube. I have learned my lesson. I did watch it. I do not recommend it, but it is uh, definitely a lesson in how things were paced in the old days, and Shelley Winters is great. So if you want to put it on in the background while you do something else, uh, go crazy. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you. Yesterday I went on Twitter and I polled our audience how much of an introduction we need to give to Elton John, because I assume that everyone is more or less familiar with him. And there was, in fact, a huge Hollywood movie all about his life just, I was going to say last year, but it was actually a couple years ago because what the fuck is time? Uh, but also, I didn't see the movie. I have no idea if it was any good. I saw it. I have a lot of feelings, 
we could be here for like an hour t- talking about just that. And it's mostly my my ragey feelings about Bernie Toppin. So uh, we're not here to talk about Bernie Toppin. We're here to talk about Elton John. Mm. No, but we will talk a little bit sure, about Bernie Sure, sure. Yeah, no, you, you have to at some point. Anyway, uh, the poll frustratingly came out exactly even between give us everything and give us an abbreviated version. So what I'm going to do is a fairly in-depth look at his life up until the point of The Muppet Show and then just like a couple of highlights past that. And if you want to know more, go to eldonjohn.com. According to eldonjohn.com, Sir Elton Hercules John, CBE, is one of the most highly acclaimed and successful solo artists of all time. And honestly, the bio at eldonjohn.com is pretty good. It's succinct. And if you don't already know about Candle in the Wind 1997 or Aida the Musical or what have you, go ahead, point your browsers there. Elton was born Reginald Kenneth Dwight in 1947 in Pinner, Middlesex, England. He was a child prodigy playing piano by ear at the age of three and earning a scholarship to the Royal Academy of Music at age 11. He was raised primarily by his mother and grandmother. His father was largely absent, not a joy to be around when he was present. His parents divorced when he was 14, his mother remarried, and Elton got along well with his stepfather, and he would continue to live with his mom and stepdad throughout his early stardom. He formed a band when he was 15, but more importantly, when he was 20, he met Bernie Taupin, who became his closest collaborator. That's also when he adopted the name Elton John. John and Taupin began writing songs for other artists, but within two years, Elton John would release his debut album, Empty Sky. The following year, in 1970, his second album, eponymously titled, included the hit Your Song, launching him onto the top 10 in both the U.S. and the U.K. and starting an enormously fruitful period. By 1974, he already had enough hits for a legitimate Greatest Hits album. To give you a sense of just how huge he was by the time of The Muppet Show, he had already collaborated with John Lennon, including performing at Lennon's final concert performance, and The Who, performing Pinball Wizard in the film adaptation of Tommy. And both of those collaborations also produced hit singles for Elton John. He had a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame, He had seven consecutive albums reach number one on the U.S. charts, which no one had ever done before, and he had six number one singles in the same period. Shortly after taping this episode of The Muppet Show, and before it aired, Elton John announced that he was retiring from performing. It obviously did not stick, and by 1980, he was back on stage again. He did, however, take sort of a right turn in his career at that point. He slowed down his output, and he began collaborating with songwriters other than Bernie Taupin, And that was really the end of the initial meteoric rise to superstar era of his career. But he obviously had many, many more heights to reach. In a way, this episode of The Muppet Show was the pinnacle and crowning achievement of the first phase of his career. You'd think he'd look happier to be there. Yeah. Listen, he had performed with Townsend and Lennon, but only after he performed with Frog and Teeth could he say it was time to slow down. As you might imagine, being a rock star in the 70s took something of a toll on him. He had his trouble with bulimia and with drugs, which may have something to do with his perceived ambivalence about being on The Muppet Show. It's worth saying, however, that he has now been sober for more than 30 years. These days, in addition to his music career, he's probably most notable for his charitable works, largely in support of HIV-AIDS-related charities. Among the recognition he's received for that work, he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II in 1998. Now, if you, like me, were not yet born at the time this episode was taped and aired, you might be wondering how audiences understood his whole deal. Uh, In 1976, he had already come out as bisexual in Rolling Stone, and at the time of the episode, he was in a long-term gay relationship with John Reed, who was also his manager, uh, and continued to be his manager for decades after they were no longer romantically linked. 
So I suspect that people pretty much assumed that what they imagined when they saw his outfits was accurate. Uh, He had been previously engaged to a woman, which he broke off two weeks before their wedding, and he would later marry a woman, Renata Blauel, in 1984. And although they stayed married until 1988, it seems as though that relationship helped him reevaluate his own identity and declare himself gay and not bisexual. He is now married to David Furnish, his partner since 1993, and they have two children together. All right, that's maybe a little more than promised, but also only a sliver of his accomplishments and life story. Uh, this is the time when the rest of you can share Elton John feelings. I, Mark Blankenship, special guest of on tonight's episode, love Elton John, despite acknowledging the fact that he has had many, many bad songs, but you do not make hits for over 50 years without having a few clunkers. What's important, I think, are the successes, of which there are many, and of which the best are among the brightest that pop music has ever had to offer us. I also think it is incredible that as we record this episode in 2022, Elton John, who first reached the top 10 in 1970, is currently in the top 20 of the U.S. Hot 100 with an original song that he recorded with Dua Lipa called Cold Heart. Well, it's not technically original. It's a mashup of a lot of his other songs with Dua Lipa singing the hook from Rocket Man. But the point is, Elton John is currently actively relevant, and I think that is awesome. He is actually one of a kind in terms of the 50-year gap between his initial top 20 hit and his current top 20 hit, and I think that that is a testament to his consummate musicianship, consummate excellence, and even more importantly, his curiosity about what's happening in contemporary music. He has made a great reputation for himself as someone who is willing to collaborate with younger people, and that's why he keeps cranking out hits, and it's why he keeps getting the respect of his peers and of young audiences, and I think any young audience that is encouraged to go back a bit in time and hear songs like Someone Saved My Life Tonight, or I guess that's why they call it the blues, is an audience that is well-served. So if you have not listened to those songs in a while, or have not not listen to them at all. Do yourself a favor and rock out. It's funny that you talk so much about how his whole deal was perceived because my parents were squares, basically, like progressive, I guess, but square. And my dad, I mean, okay, my dad has been known to wear a mock turtleneck and also really enjoyed Sex in the City and watched the entire show. So my dad is a complicated person. My dad adored Elton John always. I just thought he was like, Elton John had this energy that my dad was like, I don't get it, but I respect it. And these songs slap and he's wearing a fucking duck outfit. And there was just something about it. Like, I think everybody at the time basically knew before Elton John did what Elton John's quote whole deal was and like the culture was just kind of waiting for him to feel like for him to get there and just like say the thing but like he had this quality of like belonging to everyone that is unique that you have a lot of you know it's rock and roll you have a ton of charismatic people you have a ton of stars uh you have a ton of talents but I feel like Elton John belonged to everybody in this way that was, especially given the presentation, like that's really a lot of, a lot of like mirror pasties on his, on his shties. But for my square Wall Street dad to be like, that guy rules, like that's really something. And it's the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Agreed. I think. So fun fact Elton John and I have the exact same size hands. 
<laughs> now he has. How do you uh, know this? He has chunkier fingers than I do, but we have the same size hands. Okay, so I, <laughs> I know this <laughs> because on the Walt Disney lot in beautiful downtown Burbank, California, they have a thing called the Legends Plaza where anyone who's been designated a Disney legend has put their hands in cement. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we have the exact same size hands. Because you held yours up to the sample, sure. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was her hands that were in cement, and Elton John took a selfie with. Oh well, fair. <laughs> the first Broadway show that I worked on, I was a production assistant on the aforementioned Aida, which is now officially named, as we were discussing in my office, Elton John and Tim Rice's Aida, which oh. just bothers me for some reason. But anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> it's better than Disney's Aida, which I think was its true. original name. And, you know, as a production assistant, I was very, very low on the org chart, and Elton was actually not around a ton at the beginning of the process for various reasons that had nothing to do with him not wanting to be there. So I I, I barely, like, I, I cannot claim to know him. I can barely claim to have worked with him. But I, I will just say that he was lovely. <laughs> what limited interaction we had, he was, like, just so charming. <laughs> and, and maybe it was just the accent, but, like, very, very nice and very lovely to be around and like you're like oh yeah i i understand why you are an international superstar i mean because you're really talented (laughs) but like you know some people walk into a room and it's like oh yeah you're you're that person (laughs) so like nothing but nice things to say about my limited interaction with sir elton similarly i interviewed him for the new york times back when billy elliott was opening on broadway And I interviewed him over two separate days, and he was so lovely both times. And the second day, remembered something personal I had said the day before and asked me about it, which I thought was really sweet. And then he was so anxious to hear I had seen the show and was worried about how the second act was working. And when I told him I thought it was fine, he grabbed me on both sides of my face wearing a watch that cost more than my graduate education. (laughs) (laughs) And said, bless you. And I just remember being very touched by the fact that Elton John was still worried about how the second act of his musical was playing. And uh, yeah, I agree with Adam. He just, he struck me as being a very, very nice person. A mensch, you might say. Yes, a mensch. I like to hear that. As we mentioned, Mark and Sarah talk about songs, like professionally. And we will put in the show notes a link to their podcast episode where they talked about Mr. Elton John. So uh, check that out uh, and check out their entire podcast oeuvre while you're there. It's sort of shocking to me that we only had the one episode, but our most recent episode, episode 250, we did have, we did talk about your song. Yes. And, and part of a larger conversation about songs with the word song in the title, it was a, it was an interesting and loopy good time. Mm-hmm. Why don't you get me well, Sarah, you've, you've hinted at this, but I'm very curious to hear your overall impressions of this episode. Um, my overall impressions are that this, I mean, I wasn't annoyed, but it was like a, I mean, I don't know if you want me to give it a letter grade or no, no, one. I mean, you can if you want, but I mean, it was like a, it was like a C plus and not like a particularly strong bordering on a B minus C plus either. We're talking like a 77. I'm not sure. I'm interested to hear um, the experts talk about this because I don't think that Elton John is bad. But I think that he is not suited to this. He seemed intimidated by the process and not, he seemed just thrown off at times. And the pacing of, like, he he did his own material and it wasn't really, 
like altered or switched up or given any jokes, but it was slowed down and like enunciated in the manner of a kindergarten teacher, which I don't think served it well. There's some adult themes in his songs that I don't think um, traveled particularly successfully. And there are a few of these songs that if I'd never have to hear them again, and apparently he's on the record as agreeing, like, if I never have to sing Crocodile Rock again, huh, fucking za. But like, this just is not a period of Elton output that they were working with that I enjoy as much as other Elton songs. And he just seemed uncomfortable. And then the other skits were fine. And I laughed a few times, but it was overall not what you'd not what you'd hope. I think if he had done this again, like twenty or thirty years later, it would have been a barn burner. But it just was eh for me. Mark, I'm gonna have to agree. I, I'm gonna make a long journey from my initial point to my final point, but go with me. I can remember so clearly in high school trying to convince my friends well, some of them who weren't already watching, to tune into My So-Called Life. And I remember so clearly that one of them finally watched during the week that they showed the episode where Rayanne gets handcuffed to the bed. Oh. And that's just not representative of what the show actually I, is. Yeah, I loved that episode, but it really isn't. You're right. And it was just like the wrong episode with which to start. And I got the impression watching this that this was not a good representation of the Muppet Show, and as an ad- I, as someone who is old enough, this is the first episode of the Muppet Show I've watched since I've been old enough to retain memories, and I didn't see. I was like, I I feel like I see the edges of the witty chaos that I associate with the Muppets here, but this sh- this episode isn't quite doing it. But that said, I did really laugh a lot at the scene where the dog was in the operating room. <laughs> Other yeah, than that, I was like, well... So did I. <laughs> I mean, it's like, obviously an inspired choice to have Miss Piggy sing Don't Go Breaking My Heart, and I loved it when she was basically like, suck on this, Kiki D. But uh, I agree with Sarah that if, if we had gotten like 97 Elton on there, maybe it would have been a bit more wild and loose. Yeah, just she killed it in that song and then he just looked like a deer in the headlights yeah. in my opinion christy okay so i'm I'm delighted to hear that my feelings are not the hot take that i feared that they were <laughs> <laughs> i don't love this i i think that it, it's fun but i don't like it as an episode of the muppet show because you could excise the muppets from the elton bits and not notice yeah mm. mm-hmm and I mean, it also features two of my least favorite Elton John songs, so that doesn't help either. But yeah, that, you know, like I think yeah. I think the pieces are all fun, but like the overall just left me feeling really hollow. And I, and part of it I think was just because it was like very much designed to be like, look at this supernova of a star in his imperial period. Isn't it unbelievable that we get to spend time with him? And I'm like, guys, you're the Muppets. It's awesome that they, he gets to spend time with you, <laughs> like. You know, I I just don't think anyone's important enough that the Muppets should get second billing on their own show, you know? Mm. And I think he would have agreed with you based on some of the facial expressions. He just looked like, what am I doing here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, Rita Moreno is a fucking EGOT, and she understood the assignment. But, yeah. Mm. And I I, I don't blame Elton, necessarily. I, I more blame, you know, cocaine than anything. But, woof. 
Have any of you seen, or did any of you see the Lady Gaga Muppets holiday special from, I don't know, 10 years ago? Yeah, I saw that. It had the exact same problems as this, which is that it felt too much like a Lady Gaga special that happened to have some Muppets Mm -hmm. around. And this came off better because, well, probably because I like Elton John better than that particular moment in Lady Gaga's career. And because even though there was... At least one too many Elton John songs stuffed into this episode. The stuff that he wasn't involved in was pretty good. But the fact that they sacrificed any sense of a story or backstage plot or through line other than the Swedish chef kind of becoming a running gag really sort of structurally damaged the episode in a way that I think it doesn't quite recover. That said, I think I liked it better than most of you, probably because... I like Elton John, but I'm not a super fan. So, like, these are all songs that I know and like and have not overplayed. And hearing them slowed down was, like, a little weird. But it's also maybe the first time I've actually understood some of the words, which was interesting, if not necessarily uh, (laughs) to their uh, benefit. Um, So, you know, it was fine. Michelle? I wrote down pretty much exactly that. I mean, the first 20 out of 27 minutes of this really felt like an Elton John special with special guests, the Muppets, you know, recycling some of their old bits and showing up every so often. It felt draggy to me. And I really wanted to love this episode. But, you know, even Crocodile Rock is slowed down. I just wanted more to be happening besides, hey, everybody, look, we got Elton John. He's going to play one of his slow songs again. The Muppet bits even felt a little Cleveland-esque to me in some of their dialogue. Like something just felt a little off. And I wish that Elton John had done one thing that wasn't one of his greatest hits. Like, they got Nureyev to sing. What if they had gotten Elton John to dance or interact with the Muppets a little bit differently? I will say, though, that I think it was worth holding out for the finale, just for the jumpsuit alone. Oh, we'll get there. But I'm sure we'll talk yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, I. the only thing I have to add is this weird thing of of my memory where I... I distinctly remember I could have I could have sworn I had blogged about it because it was 2006, but I couldn't find it. Um, that when these DVDs came out, I remember thinking that this was actually like the first great episode, like where the where the Muppet Show became the Muppet Show. And now I wonder if I put the discs in in the wrong order. <laughs> because, I mean, for real, because, like, because now that we're doing this, like that obviously is, we've talked about. Like now, I don't remember exactly where that moment was but like we we have talked about this we have talked about the evolution of the show um there have been several great episodes where we have watched the show become the show that we remember and love and this is not it i mean i i i can understand why i thought that in terms of like the integration of the onstage and the backstage and you know the muppets dressing up like elton and sort of all of you know elton john being sort of a living muppet in a way but it's not a great episode, and it's certainly not the first great episode. It's not even a very good episode, for all the reasons you guys said. So I, I, th- that was the we- that was the weirdest part for me is that I was really looking forward to it, <laughs> and because I love Elton John, and because in like in the same way that like Bernadette Peters is still very present in my life as a star and as a as as somebody you know whose work I still pay attention to, I was I was really looking forward to Elton John, you know, as a as a relevant guest star and and i do i mean i I do like the elton john performances um but yeah everything you all said i i agree and it was a it was a bummer because i was like oh we're here oh we're here elton john Uh, elton john 
Fifteen seconds to curtain, Mr. John. It's great to be here. Even my lunch likes me. So as you may have guessed, uh, in our cold open, Elton John is eating many Muppet food items for lunch, which don't think about it too hard. And they're all fans of his. So I really liked that he had what I guess was juice. That was also very active and animatedly splashing itself out of the cup. Super weird that the spaghetti was just lying there. <laughs> well, for now, give it a few minutes. I, that The juice... I, okay, <laughs> no food should be that color or consistency is A. Do you remember what we drank in the 70s? Especially as children? Like, <laughs> I mean, no. I've I've blocked it out. Um, <laughs> it was very... Maybe just, this is just because I'm watching the Boba Fett show. It felt very Star Warsy to me. <laughs> Where they were like, make it a weird color, it's space. But also, it was, that was also like so sexual. <laughs> no, just me. The juice, the juice was sexual. And the juice was spooging all over him. Wow, wow, wow. It was splashing, it wasn't spooging. Holy cow. <laughs> okay. You know, for kids. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in our yay evolution, we have no yay at the top of the show, but Kermit's intro of Elton John. Um, after the opening, is very enthusiastic. Hey, we're going to have a wonderful show for you tonight. We're all very excited around here because our guest star is one of the world's greatest recording stars, and here he is now, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Elton John! Wait, 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 wait. That same thing happens during the theme song also when he introduces It's Elton not Kermit, John. It's, the, it's the audience. Right, right, but like, that's, yeah. you know, a hundred... Screaming teenagers. Well, yeah, but so that was yay. the, that was that the Kermit. Yeah, and then so this is this is like part of what I think is happening with this episode. Like, like I mean, is Elton John's the biggest star that they've had on so far, right? Like the biggest current. I mean, arguably, Steve Martin is maybe at the same level. They're both selling out arenas at that time, but Elton John is certainly a sexier star than Steve Martin because. A rock star selling right. out an arena somehow feels more famous than a comedian selling right. out an like, arena. Right, and the, and the whole show is treating him that way. Like the, it's it's the backstage plot, too, right? The the Muppets themselves are fans of Elton John, because Scooter also did the A in that clip we played earlier, and he does the whole arm wave. It's very cute. But, like, I think this is the first time we've really seen the Muppets themselves be fans, and so even the laugh track has been replaced by the scream track, right? And I, I almost feel like that's part of what's wrong with the episode, that like the entire enterprise is is treating Elton John with this reverence, which is not how the Muppet Show usually treats its guests, if that makes I sense. I mean, they've been reverent before. They've had plenty of guests where they've been honored to have the guest there. True. But yeah, reverence is treating the, wrong the guest word, like a rock star with screaming fans. Yeah, it's, it's a different operation. Yeah, f- fa- fanish, I guess. Yeah, it, yeah I'm not... Yeah, Ethel Merman was kind of, sort of, in that vein. Mm -hmm. But that was more of a, like, living through your own in memoriam. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think for her, it was reverent. And here, it was more, like, uh, intimidated. Yeah. Yeah. He's just afraid of them as they are of him. Mm. It could be argued. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was wild. Yeah, like, I would once, argue that. Absolutely. For once, the Muppet Show is successful. They have a packed house of screaming teenagers, apparently. <laughs> Only a few of whom are dead in the back row. <laughs> well. <laughs> oh. 
Anyway, uh, elsewhere in our intro, uh, Statler and Waldorf are late again, and Gonzo's trumpet once again emits some kind of milky substance. That was upsetting. <laughs> it was upsetting. I understand Adam has taken it upon himself to do a side-by-side comparison. <laughs> I mean, you you asked. I didn't take it upon myself. You made me do it. <laughs> I said, has anybody done it? And then you uh, sent and then a I, And then I did so it. Yes, these are both It's reruns. the same the Statler, milky substance. The Statler and Waldorf gag and the Gonzo gag are both uh, reused clips. And yes, I did a side-by-side comparison of the milky substance. <laughs> it was gross. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looked it looked more soapy to me, but that's still not appropriate. It was not made for opinion. high definition. Let's no. This comes up a lot. Things that we were never meant to see. <laughs> I wonder what the thought process is behind the scenes as to when they reuse gags and when they don't, and when they reuse two gags. Like I know we'll talk about this later, but they did run really close to deadline in finishing this episode, and that may be the cause of it. And I wonder if that's often the cause, if this is the kind of thing where it's like, if they're running well on schedule, then they can do new opening theme song gags. And if not, well, we can just pull something. They did have to sew a lot of new wardrobe. And I feel like in a normal world, no one's going to notice. Like the normal 1978 viewing audience. Uh, It's a whole new season for the trumpet anyway. Isn't it? Well, that's the thing is it's a it's a new season. They've only what is this episode fourteen? So they've only seen the trumpet fourteen times, and now this is the second time we're seeing the gag. I think that oh, I thought it was in season one. No, you're right. Of course, because there wasn't trumpet in season one. Never mind. So it's tricky to try and identify any particular backstage plot this week, but let's point out a couple of bits. There's a running gag of the chef chasing a chicken out of his segment and through throughout the backstage. I, I thought this was cool only because it. It kicks off with a conversation between the Swedish chef and Kermit, uh, which is interesting, both because we very rarely see the Swedish chef interacting with other Muppets backstage. I think last time was when he was giving some gossip to Fleet Scribbler, but also because that's a Jim Henson character speaking to a Jim Henson character, which is rare and we have never seen in this particular combination. I know. I know. I don't know. Scooter! Scooter! Uh, yes, Chief? Uh, Scooter, what are you doing with this piano? Oh, I found this song for Elton John. He's just gotta hear it. He don't gotta hear it. Gee, my uncle who owns this theater wanted him to hear it. Uh, where do you want the piano? So that's another little running bit. Scooter's trying to get Elton John to perform a song that Scooter has discovered, which turns out to be an Elton John song. Somehow Scooter, who was a super fan, was unaware of this. You see, this gopher of ours, uh, well, he, he's found a song he wants you to do on the show. Mm. Oh, come on. I thought you were more professional than that. Well, I, I'm sorry, Elton, but uh, the kid has taste, he's got talent, and he's got an uncle who owns the theater. Please, oh, please. <laughs> okay, okay, let's hear it. Let's okay, hear it. Scooter, come on in, get it over with. Hold it, stop, hold it. I told, I told you that Elton wouldn't like that song. That song is a tasteless, it's a, that song has no melody. That isn't, isn't that the worst song you've ever heard, Elton? Well, I didn't think so when I wrote it. Whoops. <laughs> uh, Sarah, did I hear an uh get the mention of Scooter's uncle? It, yeah, just, I'm not a, I'm not a Scooter fan. Got it. I feel like that that bit epitomizes one of the deep problems with this episode. Because it's just Elton John doesn't have the timing or the acting chops 
to make his response to Kermit's denigration of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road work. And in that moment, they are definitely not being reverential to Elton John, but there's so much dead air in the bit that mm, it just, yeah. it, it it's bad. And I think that Elton John has a lot of things, but comic timing does not seem to be one of them. Well, going back to, I forget who was saying like that this is sort of the most um, fanish that, that the Muppets have been towards a guest. Like, you can't have that sort of runner. You can't have that be your, like, angle. And then set up this whole series of jokes where various people either don't understand what song it is, Scooter, or have never heard the song before, Kermit. Like, which is it? This is just another guest at your vaudeville house? Or this is a superstar who these are his i mean it's not like these are b-sides they're the number one hits right so that's another reason that it doesn't work that it's like this is an idiot plot but in a sketch so well and to make the joke work they have to they have to actually like play it really weird yeah like, i didn't realize it was benny and the jets me neither and but then it was like okay but that doesn't like to make that the audience feel stupid is not effective right. comedy. Like you have to time it better than that. So I at least appreciate that we got a different flavor of conniving twink out of Scooter this week. <laughs> <laughs> I really like his little jacket. It was a oh, very yeah, cute all the jacket. Costumes. That's all I got. Elton John makes some really good faces. Like when they're playing the song, his sort of look of disgust and horror is fantastic, but then he opens his mouth to speak and he can't say lines. <laughs> like he's because he's a, he's an amazing performer, so he's really expressive. He but he can't he can't actually do text. Yeah, when he's singing with Miss Piggy at the end, it's like wait a second he could he could act this whole time, yeah, at least a little bit. But that's while he's singing. Well, and I I think sometimes the humans get in their own heads about everyone being waist high. Like you definitely saw that with, <laughs> with Dennis Quaid that like, j- just don't look down sort of figuratively or literally. But once the audience can see you thinking these are Muppets, it's kind of, it's kind of over. You know, what would have made this particular bit better is if they had committed even harder to it. And <laughs> I'm reminded of, so I my my other podcast is a Caroline in the City podcast. <laughs> and there's an episode of Caroline in the City where Richard believes that he wrote the melody to the way we were as a child and that Marvin Hamlish stole it from him. <laughs> and I feel like if if Scooter had been like, I have this great song and they'd committed to it and it turned on Elton John and was like, You stole this from me, I think that would have given it some juice. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I could see that. Or like Gonzo. Yeah. Yeah, that feels more like a Gonzo move. Oh, this is good. I have a fix for Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. We need a time machine. Listeners, <laughs> get on this for us. We're going to fix this episode. One more little bit of backstage business. We are about to become a fashion podcast again. I have seen some pretty weird guests on this show, but this Elton John borders on the revolutionary. Uh, well, <laughs> Sam, Elton John is a very important musician. Then why does he dress like a stolen car? Uh, uh, Sam, musicians have always been fancy dressers. Mozart wasn't. Uh, Mozart wore high heels and wigs and silk stockings. 
Hold your little green tongue. So this pays off when Sam loses his bet to Kermit, confirms that Mozart did indeed wear those things, and now Sam has to introduce Elton John, wearing extremely shiny but very patriotic ensemble. And again, at the episode closing, all the Muppets appear in these wacky, feathery get-ups while Elton John shows up in this tidy little three-piece suit. Boy, are we going to have some wardrobe bill? <laughs> but, but we're going to save on the light bill. <laughs> true. Hey, but once again, let's bring out our special guest star and the man who caused all this, Mr. Elton John! Boy, Elton, you look weird! (laughs) Well, you guys are all dressed like stolen cars. (laughs) Gotta jump those lines, Reg. Come on. (laughs) The Sam bit is cheap, but I do really like it. Like, you know where it's going as soon as it starts, but... Especially since Sam often looks like he's wearing a blue feather boa just as part of his himself. <laughs> so, and just like the whole, like once again, Frank Oz good at puppetry. Um, but just like his whole, he does a lot of like leaning, like in and out of the camera. It, I don't know. It the whole that whole scene is a, a highlight of this episode for me. Yeah, it is good. Yeah, I kind of wish the episode had been more about Sam's attitude and or the Muppets slowly taking on. Elton John type personas and outfits. That might have been fun. Yeah. Once again, we have fixed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Huzzah. Or done that at the beginning. Like Elton John shows up, you know, a la Rudolf Nureyev just wandering in. And they're all like in their fantastic getups. And he's like, you know, I've been thinking about it. And I really want to do like an unplugged, like a, you know, just, <laughs> I really want to try, try like a pared down. And, you know, yeah. So many ways you could fix this. So many. Here's another useless Elton John related fun fact about me. When I was a child, I thought that Bernie Toppin was a name that Elton John made up because he was embarrassed of his own lyrics. <laughs> Blame it on Bernie. Yeah. And Chrissy, what's your fake lyricist name? I don't have one. I need one. I need Elvira. one. Um, yeah. Uh, Elvira T-Dog. <laughs> yeah, so as mentioned, we have a lot of Elton John songs to talk about this week. We open with perhaps the most obvious Elton John Muppet collaboration. Man, there's something about that tempo that feels like hearing it at the dentist's office. It's so yes. slow. Yes. Ugh, it's a, it up. I didn't realize until I watched this with captions that he was saying crocodile rockin'. And maybe he had to record it that slowly in order to get out the words crocodile rockin'. No, I definitely, as a child, learned this phonetically. It was not until adulthood that I was able to make out half of the real words in the song. Well, yeah. so we... Because we we all had that we were talking about this uh, on our Slack about the tempo and which made me go listen to the original and 
I am slightly convinced that this is the original. Uh, I guess slowed down, or or that actually that the original is sped up. <laughs> like this is like this is the 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 actual speed because if you listen to the original, which we can do. Like, doesn't that all sound a little bit like a like a record playing too fast? Maybe. Or am I crazy? I don't think you're a crackpot. I never thought that. this before, but I definitely think it now. Mm-hmm. And it also, because very little of the music in this episode sounds very Muppety, and I do think he was actually just lip syncing to him to his own albums for a lot of it, and and this would back up that theory as well. Maybe. It did feel that way. I mean, he must have performed Crocodile Rock in concert over the years. Like, I get that, like, maybe when the original studio version was, he recorded it slower and then they sped it up, but it's a little weird that by this point he couldn't also play it faster. I wonder if it's the fault of the Muppet Show band. Yeah, I was wondering that, too. That were were there some tempo issues where it was like we need it slowed down slightly so that we can match so we can sync up that performance because it's not it's just not possible to yeah, keep could pace. Be. But it's like the real difficulty there would be the piano and Elton John is playing his own piano, so a mystery. When we get that time machine, we'll figure we'll figure it out. Mm. Also, this is possibly my least favorite Elton John song, <laughs> and it's like ugh, I, like. It's pick any tempo. I'm still not really going to like it anymore because I've just heard it too many times and it's burnt. Same, same, same. Uh, so, yeah, so Crocodile Rock uh, uh, was music by Elton, lyrics by uh, the aforementioned possibly fictitious Bernie Toppin. <laughs> he, he, he's a real person, much to my childhood chagrin. Uh, it was Elton's first uh, number one on the Hot 100, and it was number one for three weeks in 1973. And uh, as Sarah mentioned previously, on a podcast in 2021 called Deeney Talks, which was hosted by a British soccer player named Troy Deeney, who plays for Watford FC, which is a team that Elton owned from 1976 to 1987, and again from 1997 to 2002, Elton said the following, The last time I have to sing Crocodile Rock, I will probably throw a party, but people love to hear it. It was written as kind of a joke, as a pastiche, and it became a big hit and people love to sing along with it. So who am I to say I'm not going to play it? Because I play to amuse people and to entertain people. But I have to say when the last show is done at the end of the tour, I will never, ever sing that song again. <laughs> so at the time that this episode was recorded, Elton John was the owner of a football club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, good for him. It's just not a fact I was expecting to learn. Being rich is wild. Being <laughs> Being rich... And uh, that's the rumor. Cocaine habit is especially wild. <laughs> I couldn't believe I read in some of my research that I think currently, not in the 70s, he is like the 10th richest musician in Britain, but like the 250th richest person in Britain. And like, that's not a very large country. So, like, my goodness, because he's got a presumably ton of money. So, like, to think that there are you know, a couple hundred people ahead of that on that tiny little island? I don't know. Capitalism, man. According to British procedurals, there aren't even 250 people left in the entire country because everybody keeps getting murdered in Midsummer. <laughs> and the rest of them are all in the cast of Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's everybody. So yeah, even Bernie Toppin has been quoted as slagging it off. He, he said, it's... 
A funny song that he did not mind creating it, but it would not be something that he would listen to. Also, in 1974, they were sued by a songwriter named Buddy Kay, who claimed that they'd ripped off his song Speedy Gonzalez, which was a, a number six hit for Pat Boone in 1962. And I have a clip where, honestly, I think Buddy Kay has more of a case here than the Marvin Gaye estate had against Robin Thicke and Pharrell. It was a moonlit night in old Mexico. I walked alone between some old adobe haciendas. Suddenly, I heard the plaintive cry of a young Mexican girl. You better come home, Speedy Gonzalez. Huh. I mean, not that I'd necessarily want to draw attention to that for the purposes of legal victory. Well, I left the intro in. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Don't get that me wrong. Is... It, it is a song that is somehow worse than Crocodile Rock. <laughs> oh, my God. But I do think they have a slight legal leg to stand on. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I don't hear that at all. And I didn't, listening to that, I didn't sound at all to me like Crocodile Rock. Like, falsetto singing is not a copyrightable thing. I don't know. To me. I would have thrown that case out of court. Uh, the, there's a, the, underneath the, the, the Pat Boone whispery situation, uh, the, the chords were the same. Oh, please. I mean, I it's a pop song. Like, the, there are only so many chords that are happening sure. in 60s pop sure but it is i mean her her la 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 is combined with the it's chords. not note for note but it, it is close. i could yeah. play the clips simultaneously but i like you all too much no to do that. no yeah. i've good no, i won't appreciate you hey we're a muppet podcast janice is jamming out on a rock she's awesome and um there are some crocodiles swimming around and they're not. I mean, the whole electric mayhem is there. Well, no, I know. But like Janice cute, in particular, um, is, like Bayou themed outfits. Yeah, Janice is living her best life. Um, there's the crocodile who we've seen before, and also some um, some smaller hand puppet crocodiles. I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> Whenever they get to the la 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 part, that's when the crocodiles sing, and Elton turns away from the piano and conducts them. But he conducts them like he has never heard music before it is so weird <laughs> like yeah. what he's doing with his hands has absolutely nothing to do with the music he, he looks so them, uncomfortable yeah like a six-year-old who thinks that they saw an orchestra on tv one time and is imitating what they think that they saw but in fact dreamed that whole sequence it's very lawrence welk yeah <laughs> at the end he falls into the water and every time he stood up he looked so uncomfortable i actually wonder if he was in danger of falling for real? <laughs> he was wearing a lot platform. of feathers. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's got to be a really great. heavy outfit between the feathers and the mirrors. Th that's a lot of weight to fall over wearing. But that's his job. Like, shouldn't he be used to? Yeah, I just wonder if they didn't give him enough space. I don't know. I'm trying to, I don't know why I'm making excuses for him. He just looks really uncomfortable the entire time. Yeah, he does. It's hard uh, to say why. Yeah. See you later, alligator! <laughs>
speaking of songs that are worse than Crocodile Rock. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I'm right there with you. Debatable, but I know we can debate it. We all have our least favorites. I love I don't get the other it. two. During the introduction, you were all like, oh, we love Elton John. Elton John's the best. He has so many great hits. And yet I'm the only one who likes these songs. And I'm the one who like kind of doesn't. There are two more them. songs coming up in this episode, yeah. which I love, which are two of my all time favorites. Okay. Yeah. One of them is Any Old Iron. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, I love Crocodile Rock. I'm not a fan of Benny and the Jets. Yeah, I just here. Here's the thing with both of these songs. I just feel like they are like the apotheosis of the the Bernie Toppin problem. And so here's the Bernie Toppin problem. I'm not going to rant for as long as I could, but <laughs> the problem that I had with Rocket Man. So Rocket Man is worth seeing. It's well made. It's well sung. It, it it's interesting to a point. Uh, and if you like Elton John songs, it's a good time. It it is it a jukebox musical movie musical. So the the songs are are used in a musical theater way. The problem with that is a the words of Elton John's songs are not the words of his experience. They were written by someone else with a slightly different frame of reference and so there there are times where they try to sync up the songs with what was going on in Elton's life and it just was not right. The other problem is that most of Bernie Toppin's lyrics are terrible. There it is. Like, I never want to have to think about the lyrics of Tiny Dancer That Hard in my life. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. I got it out of my Are they terrible as pop lyrics, or are they just terrible when you try to understand them through a musical theater brain? Uh, Both? I mean, definitely. I don't even know what counts as a terrible pop lyric. If I were a joker. Wait, then again, No. Oh, God. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, that was not a particularly successful sales job by uh, by Reg on that one, and Mark and I already complained about this at some length elsewhere, so I'll spare you, but I think, uh, I think sometimes we don't realize how bad Toppin lyrics are, because Elton John really puts them over yeah. a yeah. lot of the time. Yeah, if you need another example... Bernie Tom is also responsible for the lyrics to We Built This City by Starship. Wait, how dare you? <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. Stop that song right slaps. But if you think about the words for a fraction of a second, it falls apart. No, it's true. Are there words beyond We Built This City on rock and roll? Oh, yeah. Because I don't need to know any other words to that song. They don't matter. It's pop yeah. music. Like, I mean, this is the thing. It's like I just think all pop songs are kind of terrible. So uh, the degree of terribleness in a lyric, like... Yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, and what I mean, and the testament to to, to Elton John, and, and I mean, this is this is true of a lot of his work with Tim Rice as well. Uh, a, a much better lyricist is that he writes really great melodies. Wow, that, that now I understand how much we hate Bernie Taupin. <laughs> <laughs> he writes really great melodies that you know that that is able to sell lyrics that don't necessarily make sense, and that's like part of why we I love your song, a song that I just you know. Made a very cheap shot. Orchard at. Sarah like, with yes, yeah. we we got it. <laughs> like yeah. you know, it's that, that's it's not because the lyrics are good. It's because like it it all works. Sadly, your song has not appeared on this episode of the Muppet Show. <laughs> Benny and the Jets does. Benny and the Jets does, and and Benny and the Jets was another number one hit for Elton in 1974, and also notably hit number 15 on Billboard's Hot Soul Singles chart, which I thought was interesting, and. It's number 374 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list, which is a list that 
fills me with rage every time I revisit it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. It's terrible. It's terrible. I said I didn't like the song, but I was totally just chair dancing. <laughs> so. I was waiting for the Muppets to come in. I, I mean, I don't, I don't mind this song. I, um, you really appreciate how the sort of elasticity of his voice. Like this is a good vocal, but the performance once again, he looks like he's about to claw his own face off with this non-dominant piano hand. Like this is the performance you give when you're in the hole to your dealer and he's making you play his kids sweet 16 (laughs) (laughs) allegedly (laughs) there are some muppets in the background though who are doing their best to sell it Mm -hmm. they're rocking the fuck out like green frackle in his little pink top hat looks fantastic we're this is the debut of annie sue the lady pig that we will more formally meet later but yeah they didn't introduce her here other than just have her rocking out behind a piano there's the afghan hound who is this long-haired blonde dog wearing like these furry glasses and living having so much life. fun Love yeah it. oh man if you if anybody goes and watches this clip go watch that dog right behind the piano she's having the greatest damn time obviously gifts in the show notes if you're going to have a Coke-fueled orgy with a bunch of Muppets, this is the assembly of Muppets you want to do it with. Oh. And, Some nameless and, pigs and dogs and frackles. I mean, sure. yeah. Uh, and Kermit uh, is not singing along, which I thought was a really nice touch, too, right? He's he's in the scene. This is the you know the scene we talked about earlier. And he's just, he's enjoying it, but he's not singing, which I thought was just a nice little dramaturgical touch. Yeah, he's withholding judgment until Elton proves that this can indeed sound better than Scooter made it sound. But this is the only number that the Muppets really say. Like, even, like, those crocodiles don't sound like Muppets. I I don't, right? Like, whatever track they're singing to, like, this is the only number that's like, oh, it's it's the Muppets. <laughs> like, it's the performers that we're used to. It's weird. So we return to the music hall yet again in the UK spot. She said, your Uncle Bill has left to you a watch and chain. I put it on right across my vest. Thought I'd look a dandy as it dangled on my chest. Just to flash it off, I started walking round about. A lot of kitties followed me and all began to shout like this. Any old iron, any old iron, any, any, any old iron. You look neat, talk about a treat. You look dapper from your nappity tree. Dressed in style, brand new tile on your father's old green tie on. But I wouldn't give you toppings for your old watch chain. Old iron, old iron. Yep, it's Any Old Iron from 1911. Shout out to the public domain. Music by Charles Collins. Lyrics by Freddie Terry and E.A. Shepard. If the name Charles Collins sounds familiar to you, it's because he also wrote the music for the Cock Linnet song. Our second favorite Linnet Bird song. It's true. (laughs) I couldn't find anything of note about Freddie Terry or E.A. Shepard. This is fun. It's middle of the road as far as their music hall renderings go. I enjoyed seeing Kermit 
involved in one. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think Kermit sells this. I'm on record as not liking this musical stuff, and I think Kermit does a really nice job here. And maybe you want to see Kermit star in a stock production of Newsies. Oh, that would be adorable. Mm. So I found a version of this from the 60s that I think kind of slaps. So yeah, that is a, a pre-monkeys uh, Davy Jones. On his I was gonna say that sounds like Davy Jones. <laughs> I'm so glad I was right. Yeah, on his uh, debut album from 1965. The wildest thing to me about this number is that one of the Muppets in the like backup dancers is missing the pupil in his left eye, and it's terrifying. And uh, you know, Disney, who is like so hot to trot digitally erasing arm rods and shit like that. They couldn't digitally put his eye back on? What the fuck, Disney? Uh, anyway, I found on Muppet Wiki that Louise Gold said that this was the final sketch that they filmed and they ran out of time. And so they realized after the fact that the eye was damaged but didn't have time to do a retake. That must be why they had to speed it up at the end. Everybody had to go home. So nothing particularly Muppety about this rendering, although Elton is backed up by the mayhem yet again. This was another hit of his from 1973, surprisingly only hit number two. And uh, it was number two for two weeks. It was bested one week by uh, Top of the World by The Carpenters and the second week by The Most Beautiful Girl by Charlie Rich. And just as proof that that Rolling Stone list is garbage, this one is number 390. (laughs) So it's a whole... 20 some odd below Benny and the Jets. I am ready to hear this song in any context, in any form. I think this song is great. I was really excited that it was on this show. It was really interesting that the other songs, like Benny and the Jets and Crocodile Rock, are both pastiche songs about rock music itself. And obviously, Don't Go Breaking My Heart is what it is. But this is just this like little gem of pathos right in the middle of the episode. And I thought it was actually a really cool thing that it appeared there. I'm not sure that the show was ready to quite grapple with what this song is about. Yeah. I, but my notes can, are like, oh, we're doing Can you talk this? a little bit about what this song is about? <laughs> the, the song is basically about a country boy who goes to the city and ends up becoming a kept boy. And essentially, it seems like becomes a pass around bottom. Uh, if you if you read the second verse in the in the right way, because he says, mm-hmm. I didn't I'm not a present for your friends to open this boy's too young to be singing the blues. Oh, so scooter. And I will actually. Yes. And I will actually say, I think this is a moment where Bernie Toppin's lyrics are great. 
in just a few words, he evokes this entire complicated story that this guy goes on. Yeah. And uh, dreams about going to back to the simple life that he left. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, the guy says, maybe you'll get a replacement. There's plenty like me to be found. Mongrels who ain't got a penny sniffing for tidbits like you on the ground. I mean, that is a really excellent evocation of someone who comes in on the bus, becomes a prostitute and then goes back home. And uh, it's just, uh, it's a wild screed against the soul crushing nature of capitalism in the urban landscape uh to be appearing in the muppet not to mention multi-directional entropic self-loathing that sniffing for tidbits like you that delivery from elton john is like every reason that he is a an artist and a huge star yeah tidbits like you i mean but this song does not not that a seven-year-old is gonna know what this is about, but I still, like, if I were the parents in the room, which my parents were in the room, I'd have been like, huh, that's an avant-garde choice for the seven o'clock hour? Okay, then. But I'm really glad it made it onto the show, because this is truly one of Elton John's masterpieces. Yeah, this is where I wonder if, if like, Elton John wouldn't let them muppetize things, you know? Mm. Uh, which I, I understand with this song in particular, but it's just, it's so straightforward, and... <laughs> So my my note, which may, maybe is not appropriate, but to do to do it this straight, but instead of the mayhem, just have him back by a band of dogs, have him back by the dogs of society who howl, mm. and the Mong- Mongols rank out of any. Because if you're a kid, you don't understand these lyrics, but you might pick out that he's singing about dogs occasionally. And then if you're right. adult, you you know you go you oh it's a double there's a double meaning they're they're doing a little play on words. And it would yeah. be more interesting to look at than four Electric Mayhem numbers. I was just surprised they didn't go with the Wizard of Oz literal theme and have mm. you know, have him dressed as the Wicked Witch and have four Muppets, five right. Muppets dressed as... But th- I mean, that I'm IP sure he would work Dakota with the trio. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, it's kind of dull. Unfortunately, it's an amazing song, <laughs> so it works. And there's a lot of, for the 70s, very advanced bar mitzvah video. Yeah. <laughs> cuts and and uh star wipes happening and i don't think it's dull if only that the combination of the song being really good and the costumes are really good and there's a lot to look at even if there's not a lot happening like i, I didn't get bored during it yeah i mean it's very it's very it's a variety show performance it's just not what we expect yeah, from this it was from a weird, this variety show. weird enough choice that I was also entertained by that aspect of it as well as it's a good song. Yeah. The other thing that I noticed is that Zoot Zoot is there because he's part of the band, but he's not playing because there is no saxophone in this song. He's just standing there holding his saxophone with his weird like mouth that is designed to do one thing and one thing only and he cannot do it. <laughs> and it like every time he's actually he was the screen, uh, narrator of the song it's just really weird oh <laughs> oh, 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 oh no oh. you know for kids <laughs> so speaking of variety show performances we end with a duet par excellence oh there's a wonderful lady that uh, i've always wanted to work with and sing with so will you please give a great reception to the fantastic Miss Piggy! It seems like an eternity. Ready? Don't go breaking my heart. 
little slowed down too. Yeah. Uh, yes, for sure. Yep. Well, this gets a thumbs up from me. I'm just going to say. Yeah, me too. I think it's delightful. I, I think that this song is uh, a goofy, daffy good time. Even when they wrote it, uh, Elton and Bernie wrote it under pseudonyms and Orson and carte blanche. Like they know what they've done. They're proud of it. We should be proud of it. It was a four-week number one hit. It was his longest-running number one hit until the Diana version of Candle in the Wind. I I think that having Miss Piggy on it is great. RuPaul did a cover version of it with Elton John later in the 90s. Like, why not? This is a song sung between a man and a woman where one of the men, if not both, it's either always sung, but like it's like a gay man and a woman or a gay man and a pig or two gay men. It's like always the, it's just like always a little bit of campy fabulousness and I love it. Um, I hate this song, so I'm not going to have a lot to say. I oh. also hate Miss Piggy's singing, so this is not for me. There's just something about her t- that timbre that I just can't, and this has always been true since like Carter was president for me. I don't know what it is, and yet that I like was bracing myself for this, and also staring in horror at a certain costume <laughs> element of the scene. But this worked better than I thought it would, given that I hate all the parts that are that comprise it. I was like, oh, this is actually sort of entertaining. That could have been that could have been little Reg, but we'll talk about it later. I mean, shall we talk about that costume element? It's skin tight and pink, and there is not one pore or artery left to the imagination. Did I miss anything? Because we didn't. I mean, the the word we used in our Slack was dick print, and by we, I mean I. <laughs> uh huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd call it more of a, a a moose knuckle, but yeah, there's a there's something happening there. He's got some chunky thighs and some I chunky don't heels. That in a bad way. Those were hot. And remember when uh, when David complained about Link's chest hair a few episodes back? <laughs> well, <laughs> you're in for a treat. I don't mind real people chest hair. It was the specifics of having fake blonde chest hair on a Muppet pig that bothered me. Right. The piggy does not mind real people chest hair. It's a very similar outfit. Very similarly cut. Yeah, and Miss Piggy can't get enough of it, of that pelt. Mm. This is the most into it that Elton John seems to be in the entire episode. I do, I do think he's having fun. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And Frank Oz is definitely having fun. <laughs> I would say I think that the very nature of doing a duet where he has to respond to how Frank slash Piggy is performing kind of keeps him on his toes, especially because Piggy loves a back phrase. It's true. There are obviously gifts of the jumpsuit and the chest hair in our shows, if you'd like to go see them. <laughs> Just the chest hair. We had trouble getting a good gif of the dick print, though, because apparently there are too many colors in this episode for what our gif software can do. It, I'm still trying. I'm determined to bring this to you, fans, <laughs> listeners. It will be there. Just to mention it, in case anybody is watching along on the DVDs and not Disney Plus, on the DVDs, they added the UK spot from another episode to this one for some reason. So we'll get to that number in a few weeks when we get to the JP Morgan episode. Never mind that jazz! Listen, turkey! What? And get out of show business? So we're going to breeze through a little bit of show business before we wrap up. There's a Swedish chef sketch. The chef, again, has our buddy, this endearingly bug-eyed chicken, in a box and attempts to cook eggs du chef. Uh, rather than laying der eggies, the chicken lays der ping pong balls. So that does not pan out. Uh, for the rest of the episode, <laughs> for the rest of the episode, the chef is chasing the chicken around with a frying pan, except when the chicken is chasing the chef around with a meat cleaver. At some point, they replace the chicken. It's not the bug-eyed one. It becomes 
either Camilla or a more Camilla-esque one. I can't say I noticed that. Uh, this chef reminded me of a very memorable scene from Priscilla, Queen of the Desert that also involved <laughs> the coming out of the part where eggs come out of. <sighs> There's a veterinarian's hospital sketch uh, after Miss Piggy gets the hiccups from huffing laughing gas. I appreciate everything about this. We discovered that this week's patient is Baskerville the Hound. We are treated to many terrible dog puns. So many, in fact, that the audience actually booze a couple of them. But here's one I enjoyed. Of course, he could be a guard dog. You know, I know a woman who was once attacked by her own guard dog. Doberman Pinscher? No, Doberman Bitter. No. <laughs> I laughed at every single one of these. The get along little doggy one was so fun. I was just like, oh, come on. <laughs> that hospital they- was made for you, Sarah. So good. Love it. It's making me laugh just hearing it again. I just <laughs> loved it. This, my, this, this was my most delighted. I, I was the most delighted by that sketch. Yeah. It was pretty Same delightful. Here. I mean, the Muppet audience disagrees with you, but I'm I'm here for the terrible puns. And finally, on Pigs in Space, the intangible Link Hogthrob, the redoubtable Miss Piggy, and the sanctimonious Dr. Strange Pork have all been overcome with an attack of boredom, which seems to have happened to all of us at different points in this episode. Uh, this is briefly interrupted as they are invaded by aliens who turn out to be the chef and the bug-eyed chicken chasing each other around the set. I guess that's what you'd call a running gag. Well, they're gone. Somehow, I miss them. (laughs) Oh, the endless sameness of eternal space. (sighs) I found the the chef sketch weirdly slow. And then this sketch, the whole point of it was that it was weirdly slow. It's a a weirdly paced episode. It is. I hate running gigs. I loved that line. <laughs> it's needed more Waldorf and Statler, in my opinion. Yeah, they were surprisingly not absent from the episode, but but sort of scaled back. Well, that was part, I mean yeah. part of my 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 thing about like the weird fanning over Elton John. Like it even extends to a lack of Statler and Waldorf. Maybe I don't know, but yeah, they felt very absent because like they're not going to heckle Elton John, right? I mean, the Muppets were a little bit scaled back in this episode. I guess that's true. Yeah. Mm. All right, well, we have now covered everything there is to cover about this episode. Before we say goodbye, Mark, Sarah, I want to give you a chance to once again plug your stuff. Well, you can find Sarah and I on our podcast, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, which the easiest way to find that is at markandsarahtalkaboutsongs.com. That's Sarah with an H at the end, markandsarahtalkaboutsongs.com. Thanks, boo. Yep, that's also where you can find our book that we wrote about uh, Madonna that we think you'll enjoy. Mm-hmm. Madonna A to Z. We hope you'll check it out. And uh, Muppeturgians, thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks for being here. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. We'll be back next week when Becca G joins us to discuss the Lou Rawls episode. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. If you like what we're doing, please spread the word and offer a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Levy. 